here on the fourth Sunday of Lent, a time period where we, we spend a lot of time talking about death so that we can focus on resurrection. Death is not the focus uh, of our time. It's just what we focus on to focus on resurrection. And we're going to do that again today. We're going to talk about death uh, and talk about death specifically with the, myth, the mindset of resurrection. If she would like to go to nursery now, she's welcome to. She is very welcome to stay in here, okay? Um, so, and if she stays in here, then Maria is actually kid-free. <laughs> I'm not encouraging. <laughs> Just saying. You're, I mean, I loved my kids when they were your kid's age, but also a weekend when they were the grandparents was kind of a wonderful thing. And then I wanted them to come back and then go there again. <laughs> and then come back. Yeah. Just a break every now and then, just a teeny break. So, but at any time, she is welcome to go in there and they will jump up and just run there like that, okay? We are going to talk about one of the two most known parables uh, from Jesus. So I'm going to actually just let you guess, except for the Holtis because they know what it is, okay? What, do you th- what would you say are probably the two most known parables of Jesus? And I'm not talking about in the church, I'm talking about outside the church, Lost sheep, that's a pretty good one. And this is in the chapter of the lost sheep, uh, one of the chapters of the lost sheep. So, but I would say that that's not the, the, um, one of the two most known. Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, I would say, is probably the one that's the most known. And this one is one of those, it's so often referenced that it's like in lots of artwork. I'm going to show you uh, one from Rembrandt eventually. Anybody want to guess it? Yes, the prodigal son. And, and I'm just going to start off even before we read this scripture to say that that is a terrible title for this, uh, this parable. Uh, one, that is not your title. That's what I'm going to end up referencing it just because our society knows it so much as the prodigal son. But this parable is not primarily about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is not the only son mentioned in it. Uh, there are multiple designations for various parables that Jesus did. And Jesus was doing a teaching technique that was common at his time. So we have lots of discussion about how to interpret parables that are not specifically from Jesus because rabbis use that. But there are stage-related parables. There are one-stage-related parables and there are two-stage-related parables. And here's what I mean. A one-stage parable is uh, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. There's one thing of comparison there. Two-stage is usually, but not always, a compare and contrast. And it's usually uh, two different individuals in relation to another authority figure. And you have the way this one person responds to the authority figure versus the way this other person responds to this authority figure. But it can be not a contrast because both, uh, both people can be responding in essentially the same way. I would suggest to you that a better title, and this is not my title, this is a lot of commentators' titles, a better title would be, <coughs> excuse me, um, the parable of the gracious father and the two sons. Because the problem is, is that when we say the prodigal son, one, the focus is on the, the, the youngest son, not on the father as it should be. And two, it completely forgets the fact that when Jesus tells this parable, he's telling it to a group of people that are probably the eldest son. 
He's telling it with that not being the ultimate goal, but that being part of it. And when we focus on the prodigal son, we just focus on those who are lost in the sense that their actions make it visible for so many others. Whereas when you read the parable, you realize that the oldest son is lost too, even though he looks like he has it all together. So let's read from it. And Charlie is going to operate uh, the Scripture for me, which I just am so thankful for because it lets me read from my Bible. It's the same here and there. I just feel better reading from my Bible. Uh, So verse 11, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter of the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. And this is what it says. Jesus continued... And this is why I said the lost sheep. This is known as the lost uh, chapter. All three parables in this are of something that's lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost child. So, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Uh, So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sa- finger on sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, young, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his bro- this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, there's a, a meme on the internet that comes from, from reality that I really like. I don't do it, but I like it when other people do it. And it's called uh, pearl clutching. 
If you're familiar, I always think of it as southern ladies, and I, I, I always think of it, uh, they, they kind of have to go, oh, I do declare. I mean, it, it's this, this, this shock statement that happens. It's this thing where something that you just could not picture happening happens. And one of the things I love about Scripture is, well, it's not secret. If somebody tells you, I'm going to tell you the secrets of Scripture, you should probably not listen to them, okay? Because the reality is is that Jesus' teaching is usually very easy for us to understand. It's not understanding that's a problem. It's trying to do what we understand that's the problem. Most of us know what it means to love our enemy and love our neighbor. We just don't want to do it. But every now and then, we don't pick up on some of the cultural things, Now, I'm not going to share any secrets with you. You can understand the point of this parable pretty easy, but I don't think we understand the shock of this parable. So I need you to imagine for just a second that you have some pearls, and there are going to be a few moments where I want you to at least mentally go, I do declare you need to experience the shock of this. Because for an ancient Near Easterner, this parable would have been full of shocks. They would have been just dumbfounded. So let's talk about the first one, okay? Get your pearls ready. Get your I do declare voice ready. Thank you very much, Loretta. You were the first one to do it, but I appreciate it. I mean, I... There's one meme I didn't use. John, if you're a Star Trek fan, okay, uh, John uh, Picard um, does it at this one scene. He's wearing thing and he does this. And there's all these memes of, of Captain Picard from Star Trek doing this where people have just put pearls in because it looks just like he's going, I do declare. <laughs> but guys, I want you to think about this for just a second. The ultimate shock of this story, how many times something happens that people would have responded with, oh, Here's the first one, in my opinion, and it's this. It is the youngest son asking for the inheritance. Now, we live in a society where your inheritance is probably not just physical property, okay? If you have a Roth IRA, I would encourage you to have a Roth IRA if you do not have a Roth IRA. But, like, if if you die and you have a Roth IRA, individual retirement account, there we go, IRA, um, then... Whoever is your your beneficiaries, they inherit the money from the Roth IRA. But there was no Roth IRA then. Most people didn't keep their money in in, uh, banks. Uh, Your wealth was typically physical things around you. Specifically for a farmer, it was going to be his land and his animals. So this youngest son is saying... I wish you were dead, Father. That would have been a pearl-clutching moment. They would have thought, oh my gosh. And if, if you doubt that, the word for inheritance here comes from the root word of life. This word has this connection with life. He's saying, I want my inheritance now. And for it to be liquid, that means that the father was going to have to do something that we're going to talk about in just a second. But this would have been a reason for the youngest son to have been killed. There's an understanding that this whole parable could be paralleling paralleling, um, the 21st chapter of Deuteronomy that talks about how you treat 
rebellious children. And to show this disrespect to the father could have been interpreted as a reason for the youngest son to have been stoned. I just brought up Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 20, uh, 21 behind me. If someone has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they dis- uh, discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the eldest at the gates of his town. They shall say to the elders, uh, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. This was not just an Israelite thing, okay? We have references throughout the Greco-Roman Empire. It was considered a criminal act for you not to respect your parents. Charlie, Janie, are you listening? I love, I love the fact that Charlie's eyes go like, yes, I am listening. It's okay, I would love to see your dad get mad enough to actually stone anything. (laughs) One of the calmest people I know. (laughs) Except he's turning red right now. Do you understand what, in the ancient areas, the people hearing this, this would have been a pearl clutching, I do declare. Jesus saying this, people would have been in shock. But that's not the only thing they would have been in shock with. The next thing they would have been in shock with was the fact that The father actually gives the youngest son the inheritance. It's shocking that the youngest son would ask for it. What's even more shocking is that the father gives the son his inheritance, which means the father would have sold property to do this. It's not just embarrassing to him at this point. The whole community would have known about it. You understand why there would be a pearl-clutching moment at this point? It would have been shame upon the father throughout the entire community. He probably would not have sold off the land. My guess is, in the parable, it's a parable, what would have probably happened is that the father would have probably sold enough of the animals and other possessions to give the youngest son uh, two nights of the inheritance. Now, this was allowed. Okay, you could give your children their inheritance before you died. But the way it would have typically been done, I'm going to use my mom as an example because she's here right now. And there are two sons. There is the youngest son and there is the oldest son. And the way it would be done is she would say, all of this is now yours. But all that meant was that the second she died, it was mine and my brother's. She couldn't sell any of it before him because it was technically mine. But as long as she lived, I would still work for her. I would still obey her. The property is technically mine, but it can't be sold by her or by me. So what the the father did here was acceptable except for the shame of actually selling it so the rebellious son can now go and live that lifestyle. In the community, if something like this happened, and there are some who speculate that this parable was told because people had done things similar to it, it would have just completely shocked the community. The shame. Look at what you did to your dad. And then, oh my gosh, the dad did it. It's not the only pearl clutching moment. Pearl-clutching moment three. I hope some of you have your pearls and you are ready now. Pearl-clutching moment number three is this. That the youngest son's response to desperation. 
He gets the money, he goes off, and he, he, he lives a lifestyle of debauchery. This would not have been, the debauchery part would have been uncommon, but for the youngest son to leave and go somewhere else, that's not uncommon at all. Okay, the way inheritance works, I'm going to use Charlie and Janie here as an example. Charlie, you are the eldest, you have responsibilities to your parents, and as a result of that, you get two-thirds of the inheritance. Janie, you don't have the same responsibilities to your parents, you still have responsibilities to parents, but you only get a third as a result. But what that does mean is when your parents die, which will be a long, long, long time from now, okay, you don't have to worry about it anytime soon, and maybe Jesus will come back by then and they'll never die, but you would get one-third and you can go off and live the life that you want to. Your brother has to live in the name of them. He is ultimately responsible for taking care of them. He is ultimately responsible to be their, the, his parents' representatives in, uh, representative in uh, regards to relationships with others. That will come back to play in just a second. He represents his father in in, in um, relationships with others in the community and in the family. He has responsibilities. So it's not the shock that the son would leave, okay? That, that happens. The shock is that when he gets desperate, he, he not only works with pigs, and you all know, I say you all know, I believe most of us know that Jews considered pigs to be unclean animals. They weren't the only ones in the ancient Near East that did. Pigs were not really thought of very highly throughout the Greco-Roman world. But for Jews, you would not work with pigs at all. But the shocking point was this. These are the pods that he's talking about eating. It's carob pods. They were known as the food of livestock and desperation. You ate these when there was nothing else to eat. But a Jew would never have been eating them. This would have been a pearl-clutching moment. Are you ready for your, your I do declare moment here? <gasps> I do declare. See, we don't find that shocking. It's like, oh my gosh, he's, he's bad, off. When I was in college, I didn't want to ask my parents for any money, and I'd run out of my own money. So for a week solid, I ate whatever I had in my pantry and rice. By the end, I had what I affectionately referred to as Mexican rice that has nothing to do with Mexico. It's just, it reminded me of Mexican rice. It was mustard and ketchup mixed into rice. <laughs> there is nothing that represents Mexico in that rice at all. It was just, it, it looked like what I... I was just ashamed to, to ask my parents for money at that point. I was like, I can survive for a week until I get my next paycheck. We've all probably had moments where we're like, we don't have money to get anything right now. But this is famine type situation here. Okay? Famines were, were very common in the ancient Near East. Uh, we think we know famines. Famines were very common in the ancient Near East. But to get to the point that you were eating the food that you were about to feed to pigs... A good Jew would have just been gobsmacked by this. The next pearl-clutching moment in all of this is one I don't think we notice because of the fact that we are not ancient Near Easterners. And that is that the Father runs. Now, running for us is not an embarrassing thing. 
I mean, I run, okay? Some of you may have seen me run around. I had a neighbor once say that was barely running because they saw me running, but it still counts as running, okay? I may just be shuffling, but technically it's still running. Clancy runs. There's no shame in us running now. But for an older man in the ancient Near East to run was shameful. For you to make your father run to you was shameful. It was shameful for a very specific reason. Because of of the clothing they wore, they had to gird their loins. Now you may know this in Scripture from the mindset of preparing for battle. And this is true. For hard labor or for battle, a a male would have to gird their loins. Which basically was you, you took your tunic and you pulled it up behind your legs and then wrapped it in front of you. But older men were not at that age to do that anymore. An older man was never going to run anywhere. The responsibility of the kids was to come to their father, not the father to come to them. And yet what, what happens in this passage multiple times is that the father runs. This is why I say it's a disservice to call this the parable of the prodigal son. Because in both situations, both of them are away from the home One, because of rebellion in the sense of, I wish you were dead and I have left and now I'm just coming back, hoping to earn your trust again. If you look at the story of the youngest son, he doesn't understand the father. He goes and he spins it all off and then he thinks, my father's servants live better than I do. I can go back and I can say, just treat me as one of your servants. And the story shows the father not even letting the youngest son finish. The youngest son thinks, I can work and I can earn my good place again. The father thinks, this is the son I lost. And he runs to him. And the son never even gets to finish this. I'll just be one of the servants things. Instead, the father responds with put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, which is a sign that he is no longer uh, considered uh, poor as far as the father is concerned. Kill the fattened calf, which is a big deal because meat was not often eaten. And not only is it a big deal because meat was not often eaten, but the community is used in it. If you notice, the community is invited back in. The father is not just restoring relationship with himself, but he's restoring relationship with those who he had been shamed in front of. Some will tell you that the father was running out the son to protect the son from being killed by the community, which the community would have had the right to have done. Son's out in the field, the father goes to him. If you notice in the parable, the exact same thing happens with the oldest son. This is not an accident, okay? The oldest son hears of the celebration that's happening because of the fact that someone the father loved has come back And as the oldest son, someone who acts as the representative of his father, he should have been the one that was going and restoring relationship. But instead, he refuses to come in. And the word says that the father goes out to him. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. There's no difference between the youngest son and the oldest son. It's easy for us to recognize the youngest son is lost because we look at his behavior and go, it is destructive. And we look at the oldest son and we think he is industrious. He is not wasting his money. But the reality is both of them looked at the father as a means of getting things. They wanted the things 
They didn't want the father. The oldest son should have been celebrating because someone the father loved was back and his father was happy. And the father runs. That's not shocking to us, but in the ancient Near East, it would have been a (gasps) moment. And then the the last pearl-clutching moment is, is the oldest son's audacity. We leave him out. The oldest son probably represents the Pharisees in this, and we treat him like his behavior is okay other than he just didn't celebrate. But he still doesn't understand the father's love. He doesn't understand the father's compassion. He still thinks, I earned this. And he's just as rebellious as the youngest son. The youngest son says, I wish you were dead. And the oldest son treats his father as if he were dead. You don't give me anything. He's probably legally, if this were a true story, legally already given his oldest son everything. He just can't sell it yet. Neither one of them understand that the father's response is of grace and of love. And the reality is, for us over and over again, we forget about grace. It's easy for us to look at those who have fallen and have lived in lives that we know are destructive and for us not to recognize when we work in our own strength, when we are about our own resources, we are about our own can-do attitude, we are just as lost. Ultimately, it's always, always about the grace of the Father. You will screw up. You will drop the ball. You will do things that are destructive. And yes, the Father wants you to repent. He wants you to turn towards Him. But He is always the one running to you the second you turn. You never make it back to the property and finally get to beg and say, I'll earn my way back. Who are you? Video, who are you? Are you the youngest son? Are you the oldest son? Because both of them in this parable are lost. Jesus starts the chapter by talking about a lost sheep. In the middle of the chapter, he talks about a lost coin, and each time there is celebration. And now he talks about two sons that don't really know who the father is, and yet the father still celebrates and responds in grace. One of the things I love about the parable, and one of the things I find a pearl-clutching moment, I declare, is that the parable ends without us ever knowing if the oldest son goes in or not. I like to think that he realized his mistake. I like to think that the oldest son goes, oh my gosh, and turns back in and he becomes a part of the celebration that is no longer just about the youngest son, but is about him too. But in the parable, we don't know. 
whoever you are, God responds in grace. Those other things, they're always about death. Our self-righteousness and the sins that are obviously about death, they're both about death. Resurrection is about knowing that we have a God who doesn't mind running to us even though it's shameful. Who will allow us to do the stupidest things even though He doesn't have to. And we'll still respond in grace. So, before I end, does anybody have anything to add? Clancy, you look like you're going to add something or sneeze, one of the two. Uh, we don't have time for 38 questions, okay? <laughs> but. I would say you're not missing everything. And, and if, if my pearl-clutching analogy caused you to think that, think about it. Everything I just described, hopefully what I helped you to understand is the shock that this parable would have, would have represented. But I think we all could have interpreted the parable without that. We miss tons. But the beauty is that God has made His message so simple. And what I love, maybe most of all, He's made it where... The gospel is not about a specific cultural context. It still comes in this. Even if we miss tons, we still get the essential core. At the end of the day, we always know that the Father responded in a way that we would not have expected Him to. So, individualistic Western society, we still expect the Father to go, why, yes, you should work for me and earn your way back in. You're never really going to earn your way back in. By the way, I gave you your two-thirds of an inheritance. You're never getting that. But at least now you can get an okay life that will support you and your family. That's what we expect in an individualistic Western society. And we know the Father's not responding that way. Yes, a communitarian uh, Eastern society would have understood it slightly different, but they were still going to come back to, oh gosh, oh <gasps> The Father responded in grace. So yeah, we miss tons. Believe me, even with my interpreting here, and I've read on this a significant amount and thought about it, I'm still missing tons. But the beauty is, is Christ still makes it to where the message comes through. It's about the Father's grace here. And His grace is still true for us now. And we need to be able to go, oh, His grace responds to me in my individualism. We need that to kind of be able, we need to miss a little bit sometimes. Because we're in a context that's a little different so that that grace can speak to us in our Western individualistic mindset. But I think it's a good question. We always need to come back and go, all right, how would an ancient Near Easterner have understood this? I used to do this a lot, and I haven't done this much in, in tapestry uh, over the past couple of w years because of some weird thing that made it to where we're now on video and such. I don't remember what it was, but it was something that happened like March 15th of 2020. Um, that was not when the pandemic was declared. That's the first Sunday we missed. Um, but I used to talk about when you read Scripture, you should ask yourself, what did this mean to the first people to hear it? 
Then the next question you should ask is, what does it mean to a modern person who reads it? And the third thing you should ask is, what is God saying to me? It's an easy way to interpret Scripture. Anybody else? Or do you have another question, Clance? Okay. You're not wasting time, ever. Ever. All right, here's how I want you to end this. I want you to, one, think about who you are. And there can be moments where you're both the youngest child and the self-righteous oldest child. Okay, it happens. And when you realize who you are, instead of beating yourself up, because that's the voice of the enemy. The enemy always says, you're not good enough. You need to apologize. Okay? Not apologize in the sense of repent. Just apologize. I'm sorry, I should do better. God is running towards you, and He wants you to repent, which is to trust in His grace. Trust in His grace. Yeah, He's going to ask you to do, uh, do uh, more, uh, do better. But He's also going to know even when you fail, He's going to respond. And the other thing to do is to ask yourself, how are you looking at others? For many of us, I think the oldest son is the one we relate to quite often because he looked at the sins of the, oldest, or the youngest son and said, I'm not like that. To use Jesus' parable of, of the two men praying, he's like the publican who thanks God that I'm not like this sinner not realizing that that crushes the father just as much. Both the youngest son and the oldest son needed the grace of the father who runs towards them. When you're the youngest son or daughter, when you're the oldest son or daughter, we, just, we need the father's grace just as much. So this week, ask who you are and receive that grace. Would you join with me? in closing, in singing our closing prayer. Whoops. There we go. (laughs) Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. This week... May you want to reach up and clutch your pearls because God's grace does something shocking in front of you. Maybe it's to you. Maybe it's to others. But may you see His awe-inspiring grace. And may you know that grace is for you too. Have an absolutely great week. We have a slightly different teardown, which video people, I, I don't know why you don't participate each week in this. I guess, you, you know, it's because you're not here um, and you're watching a video, which is a good thing. Um, we have a slightly different teardown this week. Uh, those tables need to be spread, like each table needs to go back a little bit and done like a zigzag, if that makes any sense. And these tables need to be added to that because... Um, uh, Rosalind and the Rose House are going to set up a cafe over the next few weeks. And so the zigzag is for that. So I think that's it. Love you guys. Have an absolutely great week. Video, thank you for joining us today, okay? Bye. <laughs>